0: KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening, where we will continue our reflections into Paul's second letter to the Church of Corinth. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We will for sure treat verses 11 to 13 this evening. Certainly there's a number of things to talk about there, and we just may get into the subsequent verses. But before we get into that, I did just want to follow up with some things we talked about yesterday. They have certainly been a point of conversation. I was talking about the thorn and how whether or not the thorn is sexual temptation, a rejection of you proclaiming the gospel, or maybe an illness, whether it be a fever, a cold, whatever it may be. In the end, I made the point that it could be all of those, and I think to some degree it really is. The whole idea in principle is this. (laughs) There are things that would appear to get in the way of what we do. And for St. Paul, who himself struggled with these things, teaches us that these things that would appear to get in our way are actually, in the end, a means to our salvation. This is what St. Paul wants us to see. That in the end, when Things happen to us, or they just come about, whether it be temptation, a rejection of you proclaiming the gospel, or some sort of illness. These are things that God wants to use, and we need to surrender ourselves to God, that he might use us as an instrument, as a vessel for his own glory. We touched upon Colossians chapter 1 verse 24, where Paul says, "...in my suffering I make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of his body, which is the church. Of course, there you have that scripture, which really is the biblical foundation to the teaching on redemptive suffering. So, my friends, what we are made to see, then, is the thorn in our side, again, is a means to our salvation— a thorn properly from the cross. Isn't it interesting, my friends, that the very word we choose to use to express the kind of suffering we go through is excruciating. It's interesting because the word excruciating literally translates in the Latin from the cross or out from the cross. So if we are experiencing a thorn in our side, let us come to understand that this is a thorn that comes from the cross, okay? And we are to understand this thorn as a means to our salvation, whether it is something that we brought upon ourselves or something that we are being afflicted by, not by our doing. We are to accept what comes our way and to embrace it. And at best, at best, all I can encourage you to do is to entrust yourself to the master teacher. There is something that is so unique about all of our suffering, and that is, it's our suffering, right? Whatever our suffering might be, whatever kind of thorn you might have encountered, in the end, you are experiencing it. And as much as we want people to have sympathy for us, and hopefully we do, that's called compassion, right? it can be only understood in the light of sacred scripture and in the light of a very real personal relationship with Jesus Christ, where you find yourself asking Jesus, Lord, help me understand this. You have promised me that I can endure anything in you. Help me endure this. Help this thorn glorify you. Allow this thorn to become a prayer, an offering to you. That, my friends, is what lies at the heart of yesterday's verses. And certainly we echo those words, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. When we surrender ourselves, when we empty ourselves of all of our ambition, of all of the power we think we have but we really don't, then we allow the power of Christ to abide in us. And this again is what St. Paul wants us to see, and in that, let us turn now to Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 11 to 13. If you have your Bibles out, if you would like to read with me, verses 11 to 13, I have been foolish. You compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you, for I am in no way inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing." The signs of an apostle were performed among you with all endurance, signs and wonders and mighty deeds. In what way were you less privileged than the rest of the churches, except that on my part I did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. All right, so in these verses, really what we have is St. Paul bringing his fool's boast to its conclusion, huh? After briefly reproving the Corinthians for not coming to his defense, He reminds them that he is not inferior to the super apostles in any respect. All the signs of an apostle have been made manifest to them through his ministry. And so it is throughout these verses, he reminds the community of the major points of difference between himself and the intruding missionaries. All right, so let us unpack these verses. Now, Having reluctantly engaged in extending boasting, as we have discussed in great detail, St. Paul pauses and looks back. Now, he looks back. He acknowledges that he feels foolish for having boasted, even if he has made clear how his boasting differs from that of the super apostles. But Paul has been compelled to boast by the corinthians because it is they who should have commended him when he was under attack by the interlopers by the intruding missionaries recall that paul reminded the community that their very existence as a church which came into being through his missionary activity was his what recommendation letter remember if you were to go all the way back into chapter 3 verses 2 to 3 this is the very thing that he talked about, huh? Now, as a sign of their gratitude, the Corinthians should have defended Paul when the intruding missionaries criticized him. And so it is here again. (laughs) He insists once more that he is in no way inferior to these super apostles. But lest he be understood as promoting himself, Paul concedes that he is nothing. That is, his qualification for being a minister of the new covenant comes from God. He's an apostle as 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 9 reminded us only by God's grace. Only by God's grace. When I say that God doesn't call the qualified but qualifies the call, it is a way of saying that if you have been called, if you are a minister of the new covenant, if you are a disciple of Christ, You only are a disciple of Christ by God's grace. So it is. Paul reminds the Corinthians of the signs of an apostle that they witnessed during his ministry among them. And he does so to authenticate, right, that he is one as truly sent by God. St. Paul delineates these marks as signs, as wonders, and as mighty deeds. Uh, these terms refer to the working of miracles, most likely uh, healings and exorcisms. And he refers to these from three different vantage points. As signs, they point beyond themselves to their source of authentication, that is, to God. As wonders, they evoke astonishment. They evoke awe. And as mighty deeds, They signal that it is divine power that is at work. So, my friends, the signs, the wonders, the mighty deeds, in the end, point to God working. These are miracles that accompany God's proclamation and helped him start these churches. Now, it's interesting. While he is normally reticent about such powerful works, Acts of the Apostles certainly recounts numerous miracles worked through his hands, so it is evident that his apostolic labors were regularly attended by miracle-working powers, and even though Paul reminds the Corinthians of the miracles they witnessed in his ministry, he makes clear, and he (laughs) He desires to do this on more than one occasion, that it is ultimately God who works such wonders. That once again, God is the protagonist. We cooperate in his grace. We are under his submission. We listen. What did we talk about yesterday? We listen under him, right? Obedience, obadire, to listen, or in the Greek, to listen under we are a pupil, we are a student of the, of the master teacher, right? He is the protagonist. And once we allow God to work in us and through us, he will do great things. All right, continuing to reflect with these verses, he employs here again the divine passive were performed to once again indicate that God is the doer. Elsewhere, St. Paul makes the point explicit. If you were to go to Romans chapter 15, verses 18 to 19, what do we read? I will not dare to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to lead the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the what? Holy Spirit. So, whereas the super apostles glory in such mighty deeds, St. Paul directs the glory and credit to the one to whom they belong, God. God, when someone affirms you, my friends, of something that you have done, be sure to give credit where credit is due. Of course, in this case, God, remember that our great deeds and our works is what St. Thomas Aquinas would call God simply crowning his own works. Amen to that. Before listing signs and wonders and mighty deeds, notice that St. Paul identifies another authenticating mark of an apostle, that he has ministered to the community with all endurance. With all endurance. Recall that he set endurance at the head of his hardship list, Back in chapter 6, verses 4 to 10, a list enumerating his credentials as a minister of reconciliation in the new covenant. Paul thereby suggests, my friends, that while God does in fact work healings and exorcisms through him, God does so in the context of Paul's walking in the way of our Lord's suffering and self giving love. Here again, Saint Paul implicitly contrasts himself with the super apostles. He wants the Christians in Corinth to come to understand what a real apostle is all about. So, in verse thirteen, here he concludes by reiterating one more point of contrast, as he challenges the Corinthians to take stock of his ministry to them by asking them in what way they were less privileged than the rest of the churches. He wants them to realize they have not been deprived of anything essential, deprived of anything through his pastoral care for them. Paul has held nothing back in his ministry, right? The only sense in which he has deprived them is that he has refused to burden them. This is what he says in verse 13, and certainly a reference to his declining to take remuneration from the community as we talked about in chapter 11 verse 9. We have seen that St. Paul steadfastly refuses to do so because he is committed to preaching the gospel gratis, to preaching the gospel in thanksgiving, while the super apostles gladly received compensation for their work, perhaps even require payment from the Corinthians st paul says no i don't need that i am a tent maker paul ends the entire boast on the same ironic note he began his request of the community forgive him this wrong his proclaiming the gospel without charge does this not evoke the question he asked in chapter 11 verse 7 has he committed a sin in thus conducting himself on the contrary, my friends, as the preceding verses have made it abundantly clear that if anything, it is the Corinthians who have wronged Paul and who ought to beg him for forgiveness. You know, these three verses have us asking the question, and a question has been taken up once again by many commentaries, certainly taken up by uh, Father Stegman, the Jesuit we have been pulling from. What constitutes true power? What constitutes true, genuine, authentic power? Acts of the Apostles portrays Paul as a great miracle worker. Through the power of God, we read that he heals a man crippled from birth. He casts out an evil spirit from a slave girl and even brings a young man back from death. go back and read Acts chapter 20, verses 7 to 12. If you are questioning the power of God working in St. Paul, read Acts chapter 20, verses 7 to 12, where St. Paul brings a young man back from death. It is the power of Christ, literally, right, literally the power of Christ working in and through him. It is striking, however, that in his own writings, Paul merely alludes to such wonder-working. Not that he denies such dramatic manifestations of the divine power at work in him, but nonetheless, he at best alludes. He chooses to highlight another aspect of this power, namely, namely, that it enables him a mere earthen vessel to imitate Jesus in his suffering and his loving, self-giving way of life. This is the insight he has appropriated from the risen Lord's revelation to him, that as we have spoken to it from chapter 12, verse 9, where power is made perfect in weakness. This is an exhortation to each and every one of us, that we too can be instruments of God's power by imitating the Apostle's commitment to love and serve others, even when we encounter misunderstanding and opposition. If there's anything that St. Paul teaches us with his life, that no matter the circumstance, he is always humble in Christ. Bold, right? Proclaiming the gospel wherever he goes, but all the while humble even when he encounters misunderstanding and opposition. And I think this to be very, very important to us because this is another thorn. Earlier, I was talking about wanting to pull that thorn out and just throw it away or throw it off into the street and never have to worry about it again because we no longer have to worry about the pain. Well, if the thorn is potentially sexual temptation, sicknesses, illnesses, or the rejection of the gospel. It can also be a misunderstanding where now someone is accusing you of doing something that you have never done. And consequently, what you have is a broken relationship. This is a great thorn, especially when you have been mis- misunderstood. My dear friends, retreat in prayer. Seek understanding in those situations. Seek out a deeper understanding of what God wants you to do in that particular situation. Be rest assured, a mark of the adversary is dysfunction, disorder, chaos. So you want to reconcile with your brother or sister in Christ, especially if there is a misunderstanding. But if they do not choose to accept that reconciliation, if they do not choose to listen to what you have to say, then while you can only do what you can do, and you can only control what you can control, But I would recommend to you something else. If they even then reject your attempt to reconcile, or if they reject to bring clarity to a situation, continue to pray for that person. And hopefully, in God's grace and in God's time, they will come around. Be a person of integrity. As you are a person of integrity, be sure that you are rooting the situation in prayer. Certainly, this is what St. Paul has done. Recall what we talked about yesterday. He begged God. He begged God to take this away. But he came to understand in surrender and moreover in prayer that this was not God's will. So it is sometimes a misunderstanding can be prolonged for one reason or another, ultimately to bring about a greater good. Thorns have a way of doing that. God allows certain things to happen so that we might grow in virtue, so that we might go even deeper into prayer praying for that person. Recall what we have talked about within the context of suffering in Christ on the cross. One of the great sufferings alongside, of course, his incredible physical suffering is that the very person that he came to save was the very person that was accusing him, rejecting him. Have you been there? The very person that you have gone out of your way to help, the very person that you have made sacrifices for to help, is now the one blaming you for all of their wrongdoing. Has that ever happened to you? If it has, be consoled that you are united to Christ on the cross and accept the challenge. The challenge that comes in the words from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they are broken. Father, forgive them, for they do not understand. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do we echo those words? That, my friends, is a profound grace and a profound, profound unity with Christ on the cross because, let's be honest, that is hard. We want to talk about the person who has wronged us, who has misunderstood us. We want to point the finger. We want to accuse. We want to exonerate our conscience while at the same time recusing ourselves of all responsibility. But brothers and sisters, what we have to come to understand in the end is that <laughs> we are living in the kingdom of God. And if we are going to be ambassadors for the kingdom of God, we have to unite ourselves to Christ on the cross and do what St. Paul did when he was here on earth. Preach Christ crucified. Just not in word, but also in deed. Proclaim in your bodies the gospel of suffering. I believe that to be a very important and beautiful truth. Amen? Amen. If you have any questions, comments, observations about Anything we have talked about this evening, this week, please do not hesitate to email me. You can go to jholljmj at yahoo.com or you can go to my website, joeholcraft.org, J-O-E-H-O-L-L-C-R-A-F-T.org. Just hit the contact link button there and send your message on its way. Send your question on its way. Tomorrow is Thursday, special topic Thursday. Uh, Either Uh, later tonight or tomorrow morning, I will be going through your questions and mulling what questions I want to respond to. Sometimes I respond to just one, sometimes two. I think on one occasion I responded to three. So please send me your questions. It can be about anything that is on your heart. I have touched upon a great number of different topics, and so please do not hesitate to send me your question. All right. With that, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you a special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, and the gift of being able to reflect into the richness and beauty of your word, your word that challenges us, that invites us, that summons us to become the best version that you are calling us to be. You say to us, I created you because you can manifest me like no one else. And so give us the grace to embrace this vocation of glorifying you, glorifying you in all that we are and in all that we do, that indeed we may fulfill uh, our purpose here on earth, whether it be 25 years, 40 years, 55 years, 82 years, however long Our life is here on earth. Let it glorify you. And Heavenly Father, maybe there is a listener right now that is hearing this radio program for the first time and who is reluctant, hesitant to turn their heart over to you. I pray for that person. I intercede for that person right now that they may turn their heart over to you. That this evening, this moment might be a new start for them. Heavenly Father, maybe they are struggling with a misunderstanding. Maybe they are struggling with a thorn in their side. Give them the grace to see what they need to see in the light of the greatness of your love, which you revealed to us on the cross. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.